There you are. Hey, good morning. If we've not met, I'm Nathan, and I'm the senior pastor here at the Breen Community Church. As Chris mentioned, um, I've been on sabbatical this summer, and it's been a wonderful, refreshing time, and I'm so grateful. And I just want to say a few things about the sabbatical. First of all, again, I want to say thank you, because not every church releases their pastor to uh, go and be rested and refreshed, and it was, I'm so grateful for that. Good times of study, contemplation, and I'm, I can say this honestly, I've come back more convinced that Jesus wants to live his life in us and through us. And that's not just in ministry, it's the Christian life, 24-7. And so, what a great thing to come back with. Number two, um, it also confirms the truth that the church is not dependent upon the senior pastor. Um, you know, as, as Chris said, we had three capable men fill the pulpit. They did a great job. I'm so grateful for that. The body stepped up. You know, Jesus and his body were alive and well here. And while God has called me to be the shepherd, the under-shepherd here at this church, you know, Jesus quite capably conducted the business. You guys had a business meeting ratified a budget, had a capital campaign, things went on. And, you know, the foundation of the church is Jesus Christ, and it's his body, not a particular leader. So that's a great truth to remember also. And last of all, last of all, the fact that, you know, God places us in particular churches. This summer I had the opportunity to visit some of our brothers and sisters in town, you know, like-minded Bible-believing churches, preaching the gospel, and that was great. And it was cool to see what God is doing in the different uh, churches here and, and their bodies. But you know, there are times I felt a, a kindred spirit, but I never felt like home. And so they say, absent makes the heart go fonder, and I was missing you guys. So it's so good to be back home today. So here we are at the beginning of a new ministry year, and... Uh, if you're like me, I mean, I, I was in the office this week just, you know, getting my, all my ducks in a row back things and filling out my calendar, and I started feeling overwhelmed. I started feeling overwhelmed as I looked at all the things I needed to do as far as just family stuff. Oh, and by the way, by the way, I haven't done this for about three months, uh, if your age is, what, uh, four through first grade, <laughs> you can go out the north door and follow the Predo family, and that's kids for children's church. So, you know, you get out of practice sometimes when uh, your habits have gone away. <clears throat> but, you know, so I'm feeling kind of overwhelmed by just all the things that are coming down the pipeline this fall. So I even look as far away as, as Christmas. And within that, you start going, God, what, what do you have for me this year? And I think that's even fair to ask that question, Lord, what do you have for us as a church this year? If you're familiar with Berean Community Church, we're typically what I call an expository preaching church. We take a book of the Bible and we go through it verse by verse. We've been going through the Gospel of Luke. And we're actually going to be in Luke today, but we're going to take a step back and just ask the question, Lord, where are you taking us this year, this ministry year? And of course, it's, it's going to be based and, and founded in 
the three P's of our mission statement. First of all, we're a church that wants to pursue God. That is the great commandment, to love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and with our strength. To know that this is not just going through the motions or religion, but He actually wants to have a relationship with us, that He would be our first love, and within that, to find that He is our life. Number two, preparing people. You know, when you come to Christ, you don't automatically come into maturity in Christ. You know, it, it's not like, you know, it's, it's a widget. It really is very much like the natural process all of us go through as a baby, a child, an adolescent. And he wants to grow us more into his image. There is some skill sets and equipping that God wants to do. And we want to be purposeful that we might have an impact on the world around us. And then proclaiming Christ. Proclaiming Christ. The fact that God has done something. He has not left us alone in this world. He has done something that we might be reconciled to Him by sending His Son to live the life that we couldn't live. To pay a penalty to pay because of our sin and our disconnection with God and to conquer the foe of death. He has done that. And we have that, if we have put, you put your faith in Him, He has given you life and life abundantly here on this side of heaven and into eternity. But it's not just proclaiming the historical gospel. It's saying, how is the gospel right now affecting me? How is my relationship with Jesus changing me? Is it still amazing grace? The fact that God has reached into my life and changed me. And so what is it that God has for us? We're convinced that God wants to use us and do something in us and through us. But sometimes what God wants to do is so simple and so right in front of us that we can't even see it. It's so obvious. And so today we're going to go back to some of Jesus' words to show us just how he distilled what he would have us do. So before we get into God's word, let me pray for us, and then we'll dig in. So Lord Jesus, I am so grateful for your faithfulness to this church. I'm thankful for bringing me back here to be at home. And now we ask, Lord, that you'll open our eyes by your Holy Spirit to see what you have for us, that we might be the body of Christ here on this corner of Kenosha and Valley High. And when you come, you will find faith, and you'll find us faithful. So do your work in us and through us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 <laughs> I love it. We need more of that. So we want to go back to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. This is Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 28. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. What we see here is Jesus has distilled down our priorities. He has distilled our priorities. And let me say, folks, you know, we think that the 21st century has a, has a um, monopoly on a complex life. It was not true. It was true in the, in the first century. First of all, if you are a first century Jew, okay, and you were just trying to follow the Old Testament law, there are 613 commandments that you have to be aware of. Wow. And then there was a whole litany of commentary on how to keep those commandments. One was just how to keep the Sabbath. How far could you walk? Could you pull a hair out of your head or not? Could you cook on that day? Right? That was just one commandment. It was very, very complex. And then you've got this occupying force of Rome in the promised land. What are we going to do about that? Should we just live with them in peace or should we figure out a way to kick them out? How do we do that? How do we do the right thing as Jim Cluth is teaching? And so Jesus interacts with this expert in the law and he breaks it down to two things. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your affections, your soul, your very self, your strength, that is your energy, and with your mind. That is with all you have. And number two, and more importantly, where we're going today, to love your neighbor as yourself. You want to know the two things that God wants you to do? That's what it breaks down to. And the truth be told, I actually preached this passage last year as we were going through Luke. Uh, it was November 3rd. And if you want to go back and listen to that sermon, not just because I preached it, but because you know, it really is kind of distilled specifically what Jesus was trying to teach here. But we're using this as a, as a jump-off point for today. You see, the emphasis on this passage is the second part, really. To love your neighbor as yourself. And what ensues after that is the question, well, then who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? You know, what's interesting Jesus, in answering this, actually had the expert in the law answer it, didn't he? He says, what, what do you read in the law? How do you see it? And he answered right away. He didn't stammer and stutter. He said, okay, love the Lord your God with all you got, and love your neighbor as yourself. He got to it right away. But here's the thing. The, this teacher in the law has what I would call a distorted he has distorted the principle. And if you look at verse 29, it says, but he wanted to justify himself. He wanted to pat himself on the back. He wanted to say, Jesus, I want you to give me a gold star to tell me how good I'm doing. And so he asked the question, thinking he knew the answer, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? He's looking saying, are there any limits to this commandment? Are there any loopholes? Who gets to decide who my neighbor is? Who defines that? You're doing a little lawyering with Jesus, if you will. And then Jesus tells a very familiar story. And I'm just going to read it very quickly for us. 
In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And when he was attacked by robbers, he, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. He said, look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now if you've been around the church, if you've been around the Bible or Sunday school, this is a very familiar story to many of us. And there's always the social irony of this whole story. You see, those that should have been the most likely to help a priest, a fellow Jew, a man who's supposed to uphold God's law, who he, he you know, took care of the sacrifices to atone people's sin for them at the temple, and a Levite, a man who assisted in that type of work and also instructed the people in how to live the law. Who know, love your neighbor as yourself. What did they do? They walked on the other side of the road and walked on by. While the person who was the least likely to stop, a Samaritan, a man with whom Jews had social, political, and religious conflict, he's the one who stops. He's the one who helps. He's the one who takes time and purposefully helps this man much to his own cost. He was the one who was the neighbor. The principle we can draw here is my neighbor is the person I run across who has a need and I need to help them. We could say, truly everyone is my neighbor, if you will. And that is a correct conclusion. But here's what I want to say that maybe we have a distorted, perhaps, principle here. Could it be with this universal mindset that we've allowed this to distort the principle in our own minds? Could it be that in thinking that everyone is my neighbor, that nobody actually is my neighbor? Everyone is my neighbor in principle, but nobody is my neighbor in practice. And here's where I'm going with this. See, Jesus expanded the parameters of who the neighbor is. And perhaps in doing so, we fail to see that God has placed around us actual physical neighbors. People that live next door to us, just down the street, across the street, people who are no less 
my neighbor. Dan Runyon, pastor and author of a book called The Art of Neighboring, talks about a meeting he brought together of about 20 pastors in the Denver area. And they were there before the, the mayor of, 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 of Arvada. Okay. <laughs> Had to get that one out. And they're talking and saying, you know, we really want to band together as a Christian community and serve this city. And so the mayor listed off things that, that needed to be taken care of. Gosh, we've got kids at risk. We've got substance abuse. We've got dilapidated houses. We've got people that are shut-ins and need care. And, and they were copiously taking notes as he listed this cacophony of, of needs. But then the mayor stopped. He said, you know, the truth of the matter is, though, if people would just be good neighbors to those around them, a lot of these, pro these problems would go away. It was like a light bulb moment. This group of pastors who have taught, love your neighbor, go, oh, that's interesting. Hmm. He said, the, the mayor went on to say, we don't need new programs because here's the problem with programs, is that they start, and they run out of money, and then they stop, and the problems reappear. He said, relationships always trump programs, because relationships are organic, and they're sustainable. They're sustainable. And there are he listed a whole bunch of potential benefits of neighbors. Do you know that if you know your, your neighbor's name, you're actually going to live longer? Strangely enough, crime is down 60% in neighborhoods where people actually know their neighbors. And in situations where a natural disaster comes by and the system is overwhelmed, oftentimes neighbors are the first Responders, there's the first line of defense. Can you imagine if Dorian had come through Rochester? Had wiped out some of our houses or some of our neighbors' houses? How would have we responded? Proverbs 27 verse 10, the second half says, Better is a neighbor nearby than a brother that is far away. But where things got a little more uncomfortable was another meeting with the city manager a little bit later. And again, they were asking the question, what can we do? What can we do to serve this community? And the, the city manager says, well, how about scooping your neighbor's driveway of snow? And, you know, Runyon said, well, just kind of going, isn't there more we could do? But the the city manager came back and said, look, there is no, from my vantage point, there is no perceivable difference between how Christian's neighbor and non-Christian's neighbor. And that was like napalm in that group of pastors. They were angry. They wanted to fight with this city manager because they just got embarrassed because it might be true. 
it might be true that there was no perceivable difference between how Christians neighbor and how non-Christians neighbor. You know, Runyon goes on to say he's done like 20 such meetings with city leaders and, you know, the Christian community, and he says no city leader has come up and said, no, that, that's not true. The Christians actually do really step up above their non-Christian leaders. And, and, and let, me, let me say this. I'm not trying to pat us on the back, but the Christian community has a good reputation here in Rochester. Carefest, I think, was a huge statement to this community. I know things like in his name are a great statement. And I know of individuals, even from Berean. In fact, I was at a social gathering this summer and I met a neighbor of one of our members. And he came along and told me, he said, you know what? When trees fell in our neighborhood, this man and his son-in-law came out and they, they helped cut up trees and remove them. That was a good neighbor moment. But I'm still asking the question, could it be that somehow we've kind of allowed ourselves to become like our society around us? We're busy. Anyone busy here? I'm busy. Got things to do. And sometimes we allow ourselves to become isolated. Isolated because, you know, sometimes it's nice not to have anyone else in my business. And we're comfortable. I don't have to go about the effort of, of reaching out. Are we quick to close our garage door when we get in? Do we see those people across the street, but we don't really know them? We don't even know their names. Here's the question. Have we become like our society and become a disconnected people? Have we become a disconnected people? Do we know our neighbors? Do we know their names? And again, this is just out of Runyon's experience. He said he, w- he went home. He kind of drew a circle around his neighborhood and asked the question, do I know the, eight, the, the adults in the eight nearest houses near me? And he found that he didn't. And so today, I'm just going to do a little exercise. And folks, this is not to make anyone feel guilty. But in your bulletin, there's a, there's a piece of paper here. And what I want you to do is put your address in the middle. And then on line number one, I just want you to, if you can write down the names of the two adults in each family, that's great. Do the best you can. But these are the eight nearest houses, ne- one next to you, the one, one behind that, the people across the street, what have you. The eight nearest houses. And, and just see how you do. And then... It, if you have all that information, you might want to go into line two, which is just like, just maybe relevant information. Like, I noticed that their kids play soccer, or is a Green Bay fan. God is calling us to love our enemies, that's right. <laughs> Sorry, folks. And then line number three might be something that's personal. They just got married, or just recently widowed or something of that nature. But just see how you do. So I'm going to take about two minutes. Just fill that out. Fill that out as best you can.
I'm going to give it about 30 more seconds here, folks. Okay, hang on to this, hang on to that, uh, that sheet. Just real quick show of hands, how many of you were able to answer, I, I know all eight, I know all eight. Good, that's great, that's awesome. Um, you know, I didn't give this to you to make anyone feel badly or to shame anyone. It really is a tool to equip you to be intentional, to be intentional about getting to know your neighbors and to have a visual. And what I'd like you to do, folks, is actually take this piece of paper, put it on a bulletin board, put it up on your fridge, and as you get to know more information, as you fill it out, you can pray for your neighbors. But it means you've got you've to get out and find out who they are. And so let me give you a deadline. I'd like you, if you weren't able to fill out all eight names, I'd like you to have, I'd like you to have, uh, actually be 16 names. I'd like you to have it filled out by mid-October, okay? And I'm going to come back and ask you, how's that going? Because we want to be intentional. Because if we just kind of say, oh yeah, pastor talked about that, yeah, the first Sunday, but I don't know what happened to that. We're not going to make any progress. We want to be intentional. We want to know our neighbors. We want to love them. We want to develop a relationship with them. This is where we're going this year. But it starts with a name, right? It starts with a name. Because that goes from stranger to acquaintance. From, hey dude, to, hey Dave, how are you? It goes from acquaintance to relationship. Hey Dave, how are things going? And from there maybe it goes from relationship that builds to a relationship of even a sense of mutuality. Hey Dave, how are you doing? Hey, would you have time to come into my garage and help me move something? Do you know your neighbors well enough to ask them for a little bit of help? And you know what? I know a lot of us don't like that because we are self-sufficient. But I want to tell you something. If you ask someone to help you, it's actually a gift. You actually honor them and say they have something to contribute. You give them dignity to the relationship rather than you being the one always giving. Sometimes one of the best ways we can get to know somebody is actually asking them if they're willing to help you. And eventually to build a relationship where care is taking place, right? Hey Dave, I, I noticed that your adult son moved back in with you. How are you doing with that? How are things going? 
That's just the first conversation you have. But after you build a relationship, it might be a great place to build a relationship of caring more and more. And this is not going to be true of every relationship. I'm not expecting that you've got 60 new best friends out of this thing. But just that you're moving forward. And it's amazing how relationships grow when you show love and concern and care for people. And this is where we're heading this year as a church, what we're trying to be intentional about. To take Jesus simply and literally at his word and to love our geographic neighbors around us. Because we're convinced that it's going to make a difference. It's going to make a difference in our neighborhoods. It's going to make a difference in our city. I'm part of an evangelistic cohort where we're trying to up the game of ourselves individually in in sharing Christ with people, but also our churches as well. Do you know there are four other churches who are doing this right now as we speak? And there are going to be two more that are going to start this year and probably some more this year. But what if six to eight churches do that in this city? What an amazing effort that's going to have in this city and what a difference it's going to make because they're going to see Jesus in us. We're going to be looking at this message next week a little bit and and asking the questions, what are some obstacles that get in the way of neighboring? And we're going to check in a little bit later this year saying, how are we doing? But this is the direction we're going to try and go. And our Life Together groups are going to be going through this book the art of neighboring, just to see how we can up the game. And in some ways you kind of go, how, how sad that we have to read a book about neighboring. But again, we're, we're like anyone else. We can, get, we can get in the mold of our society. And so this is just a challenge to keep growing in that area. Hey, and if you're already doing it, you're going, hey, pastor, <laughs> I'm there. Man, I know the eight people in my neighborhood. I have a relationship with them. We we have cookouts together. You know, they come and help me with a project in the house. I help them. We, We know each other. We even talk about personal stuff. That's great. That's awesome. Keep it up. Keep it up. Again, we're a a church that's about proclaiming Christ. You know, if we do an outreach program here, let's say we have a concert. That's great, but we've got to organize it, we've got to pay for it, and it's usually a one-and-done thing, and some people won't even come, right? But you're not going anywhere in your neighborhood, and your neighbors aren't going anywhere. It's organic, and it's sustainable. What a great movement of outreach in your neighborhood. And at the end of the day, you know what? If you went through First and Second Thessalonians, Jesus is going to come back and ask you what you did. And if you're loving your neighbor, he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And maybe you look and kind of go, I know one out of eight. Again, this is not a shame thing. This is just a challenge to help us to grow, to get to know their names, to help us be purposeful, to be... Um, Intentional and, and getting to know our neighbors, and it's going to take time. It's not going to happen in, in, in an afternoon. You know, you're not going to go out and fill this out. That's, it's not going to happen. If you do, you're probably not having sincere conversations. But my point is, this is an area to grow. And again, I want to encourage you 
you know, to not only know your, you know, know your neighbors, but to be praying for them. Have a visual say, you know what? This is what's going on. That, you know, Jane is fighting with cancer. I need to be praying for her. I need to be praying for what's going on there. That's a way for you to love your neighbors. And I guarantee you, folks, if you do this, you have a chance to see God at work. And you're going to need the three Ps because you're going to find out that you're going to need God to help you connect with your neighbors. There may be that person that is just super hard to get to. They're really difficult. And you're going to say, God, help me intersect them. Or you might be going, God, I'm an introvert. What is this pastor doing to me? I'm not trying to do anything to you folks. I just want us to take a step forward to love our neighbors. But you're going to have to depend on him. You're going to have to depend on him. And you're going to find there is a connection between loving God and loving your neighbor. This is a preparing people thing. You might gain a new insight. You might gain a new skill set. You might even gain a new heart attitude. But let me say this. In preparing people, it's not just about executing the ministry. Sometimes it's just about God changing us. God is just concerned about changing our heart and our character as he is about the result and dependence upon him. And then proclaiming Christ. As we get to know people and they get to know us. And if we really are loving God with everything we have, that can't help but spill out. And we get to share the reason for the hope that's within us with gentleness and respect. And here's the last thought. Here's the last thought I want to put in your mind here today. You are not in your neighborhood by accident. You are not in your neighborhood by accident. For whatever earthly reasons you have for being in your neighborhood, whether it's affordable housing, whether it's a three-car three garage, whether it's acreage, whether it's a school district, whatever, God has placed you there. You have a divine placement Paul, in his message to the Athenians, says this, From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and boundaries of their lands. God put you there. And God did this so they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. The sovereign God of the universe has placed you in a neighborhood, to be Jesus' ambassador, to be a good neighbor to those around you, to love them, to come alongside them in hard times, in good times, in boring and mundane times. But maybe there's a moment where they're kind of wondering, is there more to this life? And because they have a relationship with you, they're willing to reach out and say, hey, Tell me why you're different. Tell me what about this Jesus thing. Tell me about your church. Whatever it is. And they're willing to hear about him. And if nothing else, if nothing else, God loving your neighbor through you. Because Jesus wants to live his life in you and through you. I'm convinced if we'll take this up seriously, we're going to see change in our neighborhood. We're going to see change in our city for the better. Let me pray for us and then I'll have the worship team come and close us.
Lord, um, this word is challenging. It's not easy. It's going to take dependence upon you, but everything that you want to do is from you. It's not dependent upon our ability, our power. It's dependent upon you working in us and through us. And so, Lord, would you today help us to catch a vision for loving our neighbors, for having the courage to take that step forward and trusting you to orchestrate those situations, to have conversations, maybe just even introducing ourselves, or maybe taking that next step and saying, hey, how can I serve you? Or could you help me with this? It is an opportunity to walk in your divine footsteps. But Lord Jesus, we wouldn't have it any other way. We're convinced that you want to live your life in us and through us. We want to be those branches abiding in you, Lord Jesus, our living vine. So use us, we pray, and bear much fruit in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.